Yes, indeed, you are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, your freshest rap news and current affairs. I'm Swetha And I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. As always, we're going to give you the news you may not have heard on your airwaves. That's right. First up, our producer Eden Faithful sat down with Sally Stegel, the federal member for Warringah, about her new climate change bill, which aims to ensure Australia has a clear and positive national response to the challenges of climate change. After that, we have Dean Price from Choice asking the big questions about whether or not young people should be paying for private health care. And as always, we want to hear from you. If you're in your 20s and have Medicare... Do you have private health insurance? I think mm. that's a pretty hot topic. I mean, I don't know if it's a hot topic, but it's a topic that's coming up quite a lot now. Yeah, recently. particularly in Australia. Yeah. So if like, do you think we need it in Australia if you have Medicare? Are you worried about not having it or are you just going to take it as it goes? We want to hear from you. You can join us in on this conversation. Text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. To show us all what a beep lying, beep backstabbing, beep treacherous, beep beep she is. Thanks, Colin. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. From destructive bushfires to devastating floods, within the first three months of 2020, Australia has taken on its fair share of environmental disasters. It's clear that the effects of climate change are already showing themselves, and while our country burns, our government seems to be doing very little. That's why the federal member for Warringah, Zali Stegall, is introducing a new bill to Parliament, which will ensure Australia has a clear national response to our climate challenges. Our producer, Eden Faithful, sat down with Zali earlier this week and discussed the bill and its implications for Australia. We've got that interview for you in just a few seconds. The Australian taxpayer even pays for the toilet paper she uses. Does she go down to the chemist to buy the tampons? Or is the Australian taxpayer paying for those as well? Fact chat, your alternative to talk back. Hi there, Zali. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, To begin with, and to contextualise the bill, would you be able to explain to us to what extent Australia is at risk from the effects of the climate crisis? Uh, look, I think, look, it's not just at the moment, it's ongoing. And sadly, we are, all the uh, reports uh, and the IPCC indicate that on the current level of emission reduction in Australia and around the world, we are on track for a three-degree warming world. So we're a long way from staying below the two degrees, which is the commitment that everyone's made at the Paris Agreement. Um, so what that means is I think things like uh, bushfire season, we've seen the impacts now uh, with like the bushfire season we've had over an extended period of time, an extended geographic area and areas burning that have never burnt before, like rain, tropical rainforests. Um, they are up to three times more likely to occur and will occur a lot more frequently. So rather than these events being sort of 10 to 20 years apart, they will be every few years. Um, so you can start imagining what that means you know, disruption from a disruption point of view in terms of local economies uh, and sustainability of businesses. Uh, it will also mean huge disruption to um, supply lines for businesses uh, and and uh, and real question as to viability of infrastructure, uh, you know, from a government point of view. So huge impacts, and that, that's without even touching our regional communities that are impacted by drought, 
uh, where, for example, agricultural uh, practices and, and, and uh, farming industries are really hurting uh, because their revenue is down due to the drought. So in terms of impact, and, that's, and I'm not even getting on to the big impacts, there, you know, uh, sort of uh, high levels of storms, hurricanes, um, you know, big, big weather events, which will come a lot more frequently. Uh, the, I was talking with our, you know, national insurer groups and their, um, actually biggest, the biggest cause for claims for them is actually, um, severe howl events, which are becoming more frequent and more severe. So in the past when, you know, you maybe had a house storm, you had a certain amount of damage, you now have much greater damage because they're a more sustained, more violent and bigger house storms. Absolutely, yeah, and we've seen that in Canberra recently as well, which is um, exactly. horrific to think that it could only get worse. <laughs> exactly, and so and, and well, the, the reality is it's all happening on one degree of warming. So uh, we're on track to get to three degrees of warming if we don't change current practices. So that's why I'm not really interested in having a conversation uh, with the government about who's doing what or who's done what in the past. All I'm really interested in talking about is what we need to do for the future. Yeah, good on you. Fantastic. So can you tell me a little bit about your climate change bill? Yeah, so the main goal of the bill is to lock in what I would say legally is the commitment we've made under the Paris Agreement, which is a net zero by 2050. Um, most uh, 70 or 80 countries around the world have committed to that. Most of our big corporations have committed to that. And, most, and our state governments and territories have committed to that, both coalition and labour. So this should not be uh, up for debate or dispute. Uh, and I very much urge the government to just um, come on board with a consensus of, of of that being our common ground and our common goal. So the Act locks that in as our goal and then sets in place five-year emission reduction target budgets um, to ensure that we get there in an orderly way, uh, taking care of the concerns, of course, from, uh, for example, for regional equity to make sure, make sure that we do not have to bear more... Uh, you know, are properly uh, compensated in state and areas that have to do more change, for example, from employment and industry perspective, um, and to make sure there is that, you know, a fairness. Because I know in the debate on climate action and reducing our emissions, it's often pitched as a uh, regional versus uh, urban kind of issue, and that is really wrong because at the end of the day, we are all in it together. The impacts will not discriminate. Um, and so we need mechanisms in place to make sure we have that regional equity, uh, employment transitions plans in place. Um, and so the bill provides for risk assessments to be done by an independent expert-based commission. And those risk assessments are focusing on uh, all our sectors that need to decarbonise, but also where we're most exposed. So things like our bush bushfire risk being increased, uh, if life lifetime of infrastructure, uh, supply chain concerns, uh, drought concerns, uh, industry and employment uh, challenges that certain regions will face, uh, risk and challenges to certain industries, so for example the tourism industry. Um, so they are all part of the bill in terms of the risk assessment and then there's an obligation on the government to put in place adaptation plans and mitigation plans. So mitigation of course is Absolutely. Great. So you have a huge number of organizations supporting the bill, including Greenpeace, the Global Health Alliance, uh, even Celeste Barber, which is fantastic. Do you expect to have good support from the government on this bill when it's introduced? 
Uh, look, um, of course, like anything, the world of politics is the world of negotiation. Of course. <laughs> um, but this is really important. I think this is where we've gone wrong with the debate on climate in the last 10, 15 years in Australia. It's been very divisive and everyone's sort of gone to their corner and no one's been prepared to find the common ground to build a consensus. And so I see that very much as my role and, and what I've taken on. So my, I've been having discussions uh, all sides of politics, government and opposition, uh, senators and MPs, about uh, rather than just, uh, I guess, pointing out, you know, being focused on the difficulties, it's actually be focused on building the consensus. So as far as the bill, I've, I've been have had discussions with government about, you know, what aspects do they uh, support, what aspects do they have issues with, and trying to address their concerns. Uh, so I will be put out. I'll put out an amended draft uh, next week that addresses some of the concerns and feedbacks we've had from from different groups, um, and then I will present the bill on the 23rd of March. From that point, uh, there, there will be a process of, of, of uh, I guess, a second phase to this campaign of maintaining pressure. Uh, the government has to come up with a policy for Glasgow by November. Uh, and so it is really about maintaining that pressure so that they do come up with, that, that they support a net zero by 2050. And do you think the passing a bill like this is enough of a first step towards defending our country against the climate crisis? Uh, it's a first step. It's certainly not everything. I hear, mm. um, you know, I hear others that are more concerned that we need more drastic action, but we have to also, we have to build the consensus. There's no point on being divisive. That hasn't gotten us anywhere for the last 15 years. So what we do need to do uh, is build the consensus and build the, and have in place a mechanism that allows us to accelerate towards the goal. Uh, now, in, in that process, you can't start at a, you know, you don't start at 100 kilometers an hour. Of course. You have to start gradually and, and have the mechanisms to accelerate, especially across the different sectors, because some sectors will be a lot easier to achieve than others. Uh, and so that is very much what's behind the the. the framework of this legislation is it's not being prescriptive on government on how to achieve it, but it is saying that's locking our goal and locking a process of accountability so that we can uh, reassure the public that we are heading in the right direction. And what, what I'm really calling for is this should be a, a moral issue, a question of principle. There should be the subject of a free vote by MPs. Uh, this goes to Australia's long-term security. Uh, and, and I think as such is a matter of principle. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, Zali. That was Zali Stegel, the federal member for Warringah, speaking to our producer Eden Faithful about her new climate change bill, which is aimed at reinvigorating our government's response to the climate crisis. Don't move that dial because next we'll be talking about private health insurance. Do we need it here in Australia? You can join the conversation and text us in on 0409-945-945 or tweet us at BackchatFBI. That's right, but we're going to go to a song right mm -hmm. now. This is my new favourite jam of the week. It's a remix of St. John's Roses. St. John actually played um, in Sydney two weeks ago. Oh, nice. So if you checked it out um, and you vibed it, let us know, text us in. But right now we're going to go to the song. Catch you all after the song. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. <laughs> Backchat, your alternative to talk back.
All right. Okay. All right. Show me. Show me. I've got this pickup line that I've started using with guys I'm dating. Like, you know, guys in the early 20s. Yeah. I have, um, I work at a corporation and I have a corporate um, health plan. Where is this going? And I, <laughs> I pull out the card and I'm like, baby, because it has my name number one. So mm. it's and I go, baby, do you want to be number two on it? <laughs> <laughs> it's really rude. That's horrible, but, but like, amazing. You know, I, like, I just, you know, if if we had a child, I could make sure that it's taken care of because it's a corporate health plan. Oh, my God. Will you marry me, so? <laughs> <laughs> Um And the reason why it kind of works is because more and more Australians are actually not getting private health insurance because they don't see the value for its money and they live in Australia and they have Medicare. You're right. In fact, consumer advocacy group Choice is fighting for a better, fairer health insurance. And we're about to speak to them about whether young people need the cover or if it's just a waste of our hard-earned dollars. We have Dean Price from Choice here to sort it all out for us. Hi there, Dean. Hi, good morning. Hi. Um, so let's just dive straight into it. How does our private health insurance work and what are some popular misconceptions about the system? I guess the uh, the way that our private health insurance system works is by providing um, a, a different way of accessing healthcare. So we've got Medicare, everyone has access to hospitals. Um, usually that's free, it might be cost for things like medicine and sometimes diagnostics. Um, but private health insurance uh, comes in two forms. The first and uh, actually the least favourite version, according to the a number of people who are enrolled in it, is hospital cover. So that um, provides coverage for things like pregnancy, it uh, provides cover for things like hip and knee replacements, um, but also things like uh, mental health in hospitals um, and a whole range of other things. The other type, which is a little bit more popular, um, is what most people know as extras cover, and that covers things like dental, uh, it can cover things like physio, uh, it may cover things like access to nutritionists and dietitians, um, and they're the two main types of health insurance that we have. Uh, the the out-of-hospital stuff, the extras cover, um, really is the stuff that isn't covered by Medicare um, or isn't often covered by Medicare. So, you know, there's no dental under Medicare, so it can be a good way of uh, making sure that dental is a bit more affordable and accessible to people. So why do you think so many young people are hesitant to get health insurance? I think one of the reasons uh, is that we've all kind of grown up with Medicare being in place for all of our lives. So we're kind of used to what the public system provides for us uh, and hopefully as young people um, we're being probably a little bit healthier than what we might be when we get into later life uh, and we've you know relied on that the public system it's worked for us and um, a lot of people just don't see the need for paying that extra for uh, private health insurance. So there's this youth exodus on premiums what's the impact of that? Yeah sorry also what does youth exodus mean? <laughs> so in the in the last three months uh, of 2019, which is the most recent period that we have data, um, over 11,000 people aged between 25 and 29 dropped out of private health insurance. Um, that's a particular, that's an interesting period of time for private health insurance because some policies allow um, people to stay on their parents' uh, private health insurance up until age 25 if they're students. Um, and so it's kind of at that point of 25 where people really need to start making a decision. It's also before some of the penalties kick in. So um, if you don't take out private health insurance by age 30, um, you can be hit with what's called a lifetime health cover low 
voting, um, which charges people more for 10 years if they don't take out private health insurance at age 30. Oh, so there are, there are like, you're penalised for not getting private health care? Uh, only if you ever take it out. So the there are a couple of different um, incentives and you know, six and carrots that are in place. So lifetime health cover, cover is one. So if, uh, say, a person decides at age 30 that they can't afford it or don't want it, um, but they kind of, you know, when they get closer to 40, they're like, actually, you know, maybe my knee's getting a bit wobbly. I might kind of start thinking about some health things that might come up in the next few years. If they take it out um, at age 40, then they'll be penalised um, basically, uh, there's a 10% extra on their premium for every year that they haven't taken it out since age 30. So the government introduced some reforms last year to simplify the system. Can you give us a rundown of these changes and whether they've been effective? Sure. So the, the, main, um, the main big change is uh, to hospital cover where they introduced a series of categories that's meant to make it easier to understand what you're getting for your health insurance. So there are four main categories, um, basic, bronze, silver, and gold. And they allow you to know that if I go to health, health insurer A and get a gold policy, then I'm covered for the same things that I go to if I go to health insurer B and get a gold policy. And that does make things easier to compare. But the problem was that industry lobbied for this plus category. And so you can get a basic plus policy, you can get a silver plus policy, you can get a bronze plus policy. Um, and they're much more hard to compare to one another because it's up to the individual health funds what are, what categories are in those plus categories. And when I say categories, it's different types of healthcare. So something like pregnancy cover um, is in the higher end of um, the plan. So it's covered in gold, it's covered in a lot of silver plus, um, and it is covered in some um, bronze plus, but very few. Um, whereas, you know, more regular um, things, you know, uh, certain cancer treatments um, and other things are covered across a, a, bro a broader range. But the introduction of those plus categories just made it quite difficult to compare. And one of the things that we found last year was that um, there are a lot of insurers who were actually charging more for a silver plus policy um, than other companies were charging for a gold. So you could actually be paying more money and getting less coverage. So our, our assessment of that is that it didn't... Um, really bring the clarity that people wanted uh, and people are still confused by what is covered by their health insurance and what's not covered. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Sweta and Shami. We've got Dean Price from Choice on the line speaking to us about whether or not young people should have private health insurance. And we're asking people what they think of private health insurance and we've got some texts in. That's right. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So, Stella from Sydney here, she says that um, that Stella has private health insurance with HCF on top of standard Medicare. And Stella doesn't think that it changes much. Um, they remember that it actually sped up the waiting time for an emergency surgery they had a couple of years back before heading into private hospital wait. But um, that's the only change it had. I guess it's a lot of money to pay to just speed up the waiting line. Perhaps that will make a lot of difference for some people, though. Interesting. Um, we actually got another text in. They said that once you're over 30 and you start a family, it's atrocious, expensive to afford private health insurance. I do know that. Uh, my mum always complains about how it is such a burden, the the private health insurance. But it's also like when you're older, it's when you need it because you don't know when random surgeries are going to pop up, right? 
you're right. I personally use it as a reminder to go to the dentist twice a year because I get a, like a, a discount on getting a checkup or uh, I try and make sure I use up that money in my extras. So to me, it kind of helps me take care of myself a bit better. But is that... No, and speaking of that, we actually got a text in. Um, Dean, this one is interesting. So Daniel from Paddington texted in and they said, I need to have both my wisdom teeth out. And I hear that a lot of private health insurers are so desperate to sign up new people that they're waiving their 12-month waiting period. So I'm planning to just sign up, have the extractions, and then cancel my cover. That's actually a very oh, that's smart clever. idea. What do you think about that, Dean? Um, it's, it's actually rare for uh, health insurers to waive those 12-month waiting periods. Oh. So if that's something that's on um, offer, make sure that it does cover what you're, what you're actually wanting to get. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that is a case where it's actually quite good value. Um, I, I mean, one of the important things to remember is that you can get extras without getting hospital cover. So if dental is your only concern, then you don't need to sign up to the hospital cover as well as the extras cover. And the other really often confusing thing about extras, particularly when it comes to dental, um, is that often uh, there are quite strict set limits for things. And so um, sometimes your insurance will only pay a percentage, sometimes it will pay, pay a flat fee, and sometimes it's cheaper to go to a dentist that the health insurer has an agreement with. So make sure you need to make sure that you're actually going to go somewhere that gets you the best deal as well as the best mm. health care. So you just mentioned that you don't need private health insurance to just for co- hospital cover, but isn't that the primary reason people get private health insurance, to insure them when they go to the hospital? Uh, well, what we're seeing with how people are behaving, uh, I think it's uh, at the end of last year, hospital cover, about 44% of Australians had uh, hospital cover, um, and that's the lowest it's been in a while. But extras cover was around 53%. Um, so people are getting um, seem to seem to like that sort of cover because it's stuff that isn't covered by Medicare. Um, but it just it really depends on your own situation and like financial situation is a big one. I think one of your the, one of the people who texted in uh, mm. sort of mentioned value for money. Um, we do regular research about what consumers are thinking about a range of different things, and so we ask people what they think of private health insurance. And 80% of people with private health insurance rate it as their number one cost of living concern. So people with Mm -hmm. private health insurance are more concerned about that cost than they are about gas and electricity and other things. So that's massive um, and something that people need to take into consideration whether they can actually afford this or not. So you mentioned some of the work that Choice has been doing. So Choice has been campaigning for a fair private health insurance system for a while. What more are you hoping to achieve in the industry? What we've seen is a, a steady period of people dropping out and particularly younger people dropping out of private health insurance. The Grattan Institute um, kind of describes both um, the cause and consequence of this as being a death spiral. So younger people are uh, dropping out, often because it's too expensive. Um, but that means that the healthier people who are insured, uh, like the, the number of healthy people who are insured uh, is, is shrinking. Um, and the people who are actually claiming against their insurance is increasing um, as a percentage of that group. And that puts pressure on premiums, pushes the prices up, um, and that pushes more people out. And so you're kind of in this spot where people uh, people who don't use it aren't paying for it, people who do use it are, and it pushes prices up and people more people drop out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're calling for a complete and thorough review of the whole system. We're not sure that all of the incentives that are there actually work, because I think for a lot of people, once you get to, say, um, 10 or 20 years past age 30, if you haven't taken it out, then it becomes a real barrier because 
you can be paying up to 70% extra on your premium just because you haven't taken it out at age 30. Um, and so at some point that becomes a barrier to people ever taking it out. So we just want to make sure that all the incentives are right. We also want to make sure that it's actually delivering in terms of um, providing what people want and what people need and taking pressure off the public system um, if, that's, uh, if that's actually how, what it's designed to do. Because if people are just paying and not getting a lot out of it then actually we're just giving money to people when that money could be better, uh, to companies when that money could be better spent on the public health system. This is so interesting. Thank you so much, Dean, for talking to us this morning. No problem at all. That was Dean Price from Choice on the line speaking to us about whether or not young people should have private health insurance. And that's all the time we've got for today. That's right. Another big thanks to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, and Pip Leeson. And thanks again to our guests, Zali Stegel and Dean Price. We'll catch you next week. But before we do, we're going to play a song all about private health insurance. Well, it's not really all about it, but like that's that's how it's been phrased here. <laughs> Tell me where I'm going to find a song about private I don't know. You're the one who finds the songs every week, (laughs) Sopha. The the joke is, okay, Charmaine, let's do that again. So now we're going to go to a song all about... Private health no, insurance. No. Okay. I'm sticking to this, no. guys. <laughs> We're going to play a song all about those of us who don't have private health insurance. And if you don't, <laughs> you know where to find me if you want to be number two on mine, baby boy. Right. <laughs> Text in on 0409 This is Young and Dumb and Broke by Khalid. Have a great Saturday, guys. <laughs>